Great to see you. If you haven't been with us over the past couple of weeks, we're at the tail and final end of a three-week message series called After the Storm. And we've been using this, this image of a physical storm that I think all of us have experienced or at least can understand. Maybe we've seen the movie Twister or, uh, you know, you've been around, uh, watched the news and seen storm damage. And so we understand how that works. And of course, when there's a storm, the kind of storm where you grab your loved ones and your pet and you go to the basement and you pray, you make it through the night. Uh, when you're in a storm like that, your first and only thought is survive, survive, survive. It's after the storm that you emerge to assess the damage that's been done. It's after the storm when the real work begins. It's after the storm when you have to sort of pick up the pieces and mend what's broken and find a way uh, to move forward. Now, we understand that if you experience a storm and your house is damaged, you wouldn't dream of leaving the windows shattered or the roof damaged and continuing to just move on with life. You would have to stop and fix the damage. Now, the reason why... um, We're talking about this is because I believe the last 18 months, the COVID-19 pandemic has been, for all of us in some sense, a storm. And while the damage may not be physical and easy to identify as a roof that would be damaged, uh, we have experienced loss and there has been hurt. And I'm talking to people and relationships have broken down within families, within workplaces. There are people turning on each other. And then you have all of the things that people have missed in the last 18 months, graduations, funerals, saying goodbye to loved ones, you know, uh, financial loss. There's just been so many ways in which we have suffered loss and damage. And our tendency would be to say, well, things seem to be improving. Things are getting better in Ontario. And so let's just move on as if it never happened. But I think what needs to happen is we need to process and heal before we move forward. Otherwise, we bring the damage with us into the future. So that's what we've been talking about. And in in the first message, we talked about blame. In the second message, we talked about isolation and hiding. And today, we're going to look at the third sort of natural thing that we do when we experience dark and difficult times. I've drawn all three of these out of Genesis chapter 3, which Uh, has for us the fall of man. So you have Adam and Eve, and they sin against God, and they eat the fruit that they're not supposed to eat, and things go bad for them and their family and their descendants and the whole world. Sin enters the world, and and everything is now broken and jaded. And, And so in response to their sin, we see these three things emerge just so naturally once they sin. The first one, as we talked about, was blame. Adam blames Eve, blames God. Eve blames the serpent, blames the devil. We see that they're hiding. They make clothing to hide from each other. They hide in the trees from God. And today we're going to look at the final one. So let's go back to our text, Genesis 3. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They're, they're hiding in the trees. They don't want God to find them. But, but God calls out to them. And here's what he says. The Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? I believe God is still calling out to men and women all over this world. Where are you? Why, why are you hiding from me? And he calls out and we find out why Adam is hiding. He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was, let's say it together, afraid. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Today we're talking about the third thing that comes so naturally to every single human being. Fear. Fear. And I believe that fear is often the ugly underbelly to so many of the behaviors that we have. When we're mean to people, when we judge other people, when we steal, when we lie, when we, when we pursue addictive behaviors, much of it is actually fear underneath. 
Adam says to the Lord, I was hiding because I was fear was underneath the hiding. Fear of being in trouble and being responsible for my sin causes me to blame. So fear is a significant subject that we want to sort of dive into this morning. So let me start by giving you a couple definitions that may be helpful for you. Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by being aware of danger. Okay, so when you sense danger, and your body's really good at this, your eyes and your, your brain and your senses, they can, they can pick up sounds that are unusual, and they trigger you to go, oh, there could be danger. So fear is an awareness of danger. It's an emotion that lets you know. And then there's this other word that is very, very tightly connected, and many people are struggling with this, and that's anxiety. Anxiety is simply fear or nervousness about what might happen. So you'd say fear is sensing danger. And what happens in you when you sense danger? Anxiety is future fear. All right? It's I'm concerned about what danger could be tomorrow or the next week or, or what's coming down the road. And so I'm going to experience fear now based on something I think will happen in the future. So these two are very, very tightly connected. And the Bible has a lot to say about fear and anxiety and how we are to respond to them. So here's what I need you to understand. That fear is, and we've been saying this each week with each of the things, fear is natural. It's very normal for us to experience fear, okay? Now, let me, let me also point out that fear can be logical or illogical. You know the difference, right? Logical means it makes sense. Illogical means it doesn't. So if you were in the Sahara Desert and you're on a Jeep safari and you get off and wander into the bush and you hear a lion, is your fear of being eaten logical or illogical? Logical. There's a lion in the air. If you're walking through a park here in the city of Peterborough and you're afraid of being eaten by a lion, is that logical or illogical? It's illogical because lions don't live up here unless they escape from the zoo. Some of you are like, that's actually my fear. I'm afraid of that. Okay? So fear can be logical or illogical, but here's the thing. It doesn't matter if it makes sense or not because fear is not only natural. Fear is also, this is really important, physical. Now, you may say, well, I thought fear was emotion. I thought fear was something that I think, a thought. It is, but what you may not know is that the thoughts we think and the emotions we feel affect our physical bodies. So, for the next few moments, I want to try to explain to you some science. Now, bear in mind that I am not a biologist or a doctor. Um, The information I'm going to share with you now I actually read from multiple sources on the internet. Um, the, the one that I found most helpful, in case you want to check it out, is uh, Northwestern Medicine. has an incredible page and article on how fear is physical. And so much of what I'm going to share with you for these next few moments is from there. Essentially, what happens with fear? When we sense danger, our brains are really, really smart. God has created us in this incredible way. So what happens is when you sense danger, your brain releases hormones. Okay, it will release cortisol and adrenaline. Okay, and what, what this does when you sense fear or feel fear, your brain releases cortisol and adrenaline, which goes into your bloodstream and causes your brain to send out signals so that your blood, your heart rate will increase. Right, so you're, you're, you're rocking away at 60 beats a minute. All of a sudden it rises over 100, let's say, because you're fearful. And then the blood actually moves from your, your general organs, like your, your stomach and your digestive system, and the blood gets moved to your muscles. All right? This is why when you're scared or nervous, sometimes you get butterflies in your stomach. It's because the blood is leaving that area and going to your muscles. And this is all preparing you for fight or flight response. So if you're in danger, someone's about to mug you, 
You need that blood in your muscles so you can run as fast as you can. You, you need that blood in your muscles so that you can... But there's something else that happens. That's what happens physically, but what happens in your brain is, is something different. Your brain has different areas that serve different functions, okay? And the front part of your brain is called the prefrontal cortex, and that part of the brain, I'm told, is, uh, is all about where the reasoning and logic happens, you know? So it's where you make a pros and cons list. You know, pro, con... What do you think about that? You're taking in all the information, absorbing it, processing all the information. And what's interesting is, when you feel fear, that part of your brain diminishes, and the base of your brain, okay, the basal ganglia and some of the real core parts of your brain, which is very react, it's called the animal or the lizard brain. That's where you just react. That part of your brain takes over. For example, let me show you why this is actually helpful sometimes. Let's say you have a little child in your care, a little two-year-old child, and that child is running towards a cliff. When you see danger and you experience fear, that kid is running towards danger, that is not the time to make a pros and cons list. Pro. This is a learning experience. No, it's not a learning experience. The kid's going to die. So you react, right? The prefrontal cortex shuts down. You react. That's helpful when you're protecting a child. It's helpful when you're under attack physically for your life. Not helpful when you're having a conversation with your spouse. Not helpful when you're talking politics on Facebook with a bunch of friends. Because what happens is fear will actually... You ever? Here's the thing I've noticed. Over the last 18 months during the pandemic, people repeatedly say to me, don't people think anymore? How are people so illogical, so uneducated, so stupid? And really, it shouldn't come as a surprise because for the past 18 months, people have been driven and motivated by what? Fear. And fear shuts down our sense of logic. It shuts down the prefrontal cortex and makes us react, fight, flight, response, protect, defend. And so it shouldn't be a surprise that people are reacting the way that they are. Um, it's crazy because when we're afraid, we, we're not logical. Uh, when I was a little kid, I had this older cousin that I looked up to, and she watched the movie Jaws. Some of you remember that movie, right? And uh, so Jaws is this movie where there's this big, you know, great white shark that's just like killing fishermen, eating everybody that falls in the water. It's terrifying. And, and she was a young teenage girl, and she watched this movie, and for years she wouldn't even swim in a pool. And we're sitting around the pool, and she'd be like, I'm not getting in there. And I'm like... It's fresh water. It's chlorinated. Sharks don't live in there. Look, you can see the bottom. Nope. There's no way I'm floating around a tube to be some shark's lunch. Like, fear was so illogical, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter because it felt real, and it responded with a reaction of danger and preservation. I'll give you one last example, and then we'll move on from this. Uh, recently, my parents um, got a barn cat. They wanted a new cat, didn't want to spend a bunch of money, so they got a free one from a barn. And it's a lovely little cat, but when they got it, this cat was, you could say, edgy. Because when you're a barn cat, the only chance of survival is instinct. Like, everything in that barn is trying to get you. And so when they brought this little kitten home, you know, they go to pick it up and be like, scratching, biting. And they're like, oh, poor little cat. You know, he's been raised in a barn. Some of you maybe adopted a dog that was abused. You know, and, and someone goes up to pet the dog and it snaps at them. And it's like, whoa. But we go, oh, 
you have to understand it's just responding out of fear. It's responding out of what's happened to it, right? So we have all this grace and mercy for cats and dogs that, that react animalistically out of fear, but then when our coworker or our father-in-law or our sister or someone in our family, because we're all reacting out of fear, we're, we write them off. Well, I wish that we had as much patience for one another as we do for our pets. That'll preach. <laughs> so, when we think about fear, um, let's fill in this blank. When I am afraid, I what? What do, you, what do you do when you're afraid? Do you overreact? Do you isolate yourself and hide? Do you withdraw from relationships? Do you panic? Ah, the world's ending. Do you react in anger and frustration? What, what do you do when you're afraid? And that's the question I want to answer today. The real question is this. The real question is, what do we do with fear? What do we do with it? So I've just explained to you that fear is physical, that when you feel fear, when you have those emotions, it affects your body, cortisol levels, blood flow, everything changes. So what do we do? How do we respond differently? Because so many of the things that we do are actually fueled by by fear. I heard this uh, really, really helpful um, conversation. This past Monday, we had uh, Cheryl Robinson. She's a, I think, let me get it right, a psychotherapist here in Peterborough. And she did a session for us on addiction online. And if anyone wants to get a copy of the presentation, let us know. We'll, we'll send you a link for it. Uh, we recorded it. But it was one of the things that stood out. She showed the picture of the iceberg. Have you ever seen the iceberg? A little bit of ice on the top, and there's this mammoth iceberg beneath the surface. And what she said was, she said, addictions are what you see on the surface. But below the addiction, there's something driving it. And, and this is true. Uh, when you see somebody having an outburst in anger, there's something beneath the surface, and often it's fear. They're trying to preserve themselves, right? Uh, when you see somebody fighting with a particular addiction, there might be hurt or resentment or something beneath the surface. And if we can discover what that is and address it, then it makes it so much easier to deal with the addiction or the behavior. Does that, that make sense to everybody? So the real question is, what do we do with our fear? Well, the first thing we need to know is that the Bible is very clear that there is something we can do, that we can take charge, that we can take a step in a better direction. Here's, here's what Jesus said to his disciples he has just announced to them that he's leaving and going away and they're going to be alone and they're terrified. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, you don't have to react and respond out of fear. There's a different way. And so we're going to dive in a little bit on how we do this because one of the things we discover throughout the Bible is that there's this resounding command throughout the Bible to fear not, okay? This is the most often cited command in all of Scripture. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't fear. I am with you. Throughout the Bible, fear not, fear not, fear not. But here's the thing. It's not that helpful to just walk up to somebody and say, don't fear. There are times uh, with our kids as they were growing up where they were afraid of the dark. They come into our room and say, oh, I can't sleep. I'm scared. And as a dad, I tried to explain to them logically that there's nothing to be afraid of. The door's locked. I've checked. The dog would let you know if something was wrong. I go into their room, and they're like, yeah, but I'm just scared of the dark. And I say, listen, there's no monsters under the bed. There's no critters in the closet. Okay, there are no gremlins in your drawers. And they're getting more scared. I don't know why. I guess I'm feeding them ideas for things that could be wrong. And then I'll turn on the light and I say, look, 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 look. Nothing in here. And they're like, yeah. And then I shut off the light, and they're instantly scared again. So... 
Telling my kids, don't be afraid, actually doesn't fix it. Have you noticed this? And so the Bible is resounding clear that we're to fear not. But I would like to propose to you today that that is something that we aspire to and move towards. That that's the goal. That we would live our lives without fear. But we got to start somewhere. Okay? I could say to you guys, hey, you should have big faith in God. But chances are, if you have no faith, you've got to start with a little faith and then grow that faith. And in the same way, if you have big fear, each and every day, it can be reduced. It can be reduced. Okay? So fear not is the goal. Fear not is the goal. My sermon title is Fear Less. And that's my hope for you. That when you leave here today, you would fear less than when you came in. And if you continue to apply the principles that we're going to look at in just a moment, you're going to be able to fear less next week than you did this week and less the week after that. And so you're going to fear less and less and less as you continue, um, as you continue to move forward. So, um, when I am afraid, I... Some of you know this passage. It's from Psalm 56, verse 3. And it's David who writes these words. Now, before I show you what David said he would do when he was afraid, let me give you context. Because you're going to be like, oh, of course David did that. He's the king. He's favored. He killed Goliath. He was, you know, all, you know, excellent musician, and I can't play anything. And so we think to ourselves, oh, but so I looked in my Bible, in Psalm 56, if you go to the beginning of the psalm, there's usually a little blurb. Have you guys noticed this in a Bible? In the blurb, it says that this psalm was written by David when he was in Gath. So I'm like, interesting. What was going on in Gath? So I turned to 1 Samuel, followed the story. So here's what happens. David... Kills Goliath, everyone loves him. He's a star. Everyone loves him. He marries the king's daughter. He is now part of the royal family. Pretty good, right? He's anointed to be king. He knows it's coming. So everything's like on the up. And all of a sudden, Saul, his new father-in-law, wants to kill him. And he comes to kill him. And David and his wife, they literally like fill the bed with pillows. You know, kids do that, you know, and they sneak out the window. That's what David did. That's, that's where that idea came from. They filled the bed with pillows and put some, some goat's hair for, you know, his head. And he's down the rope, out the window, and he's running for his life. Saul comes up to kill him, and he's not there. So if you think your family's bad, unless your father-in-law is trying to kill you, you're probably doing better than David. He's running for his life. There's a bounty on his head. And so David actually feels so in danger in his own home country that he actually leaves and goes to the nation of his enemies, the Philistines. And he goes to the town of Gath, which is where Goliath was from. So he killed their champion warrior. And now he goes there because he feels safer living amongst his enemies than he does amongst his family. Ooh, that would also preach. David's in Gath. He gets arrested and brought before the king, the Philistine king. And they bring him to the king, and he has to pretend to be, um, what do you call that? Mad. That's a great, thank you, Scott. Mad. He's drooling down his beard. He's acting like he's crazy. The king says, this guy's no threat to us. Let him go. So David is pretending to be mad. He ends up going and he finds a cave, and he's hiding in a cave in an enemy territory And other people who are homeless and hopeless are coming to him and crowding his cave. That's where we find David. That's where he writes the psalm that we're about to read. So it puts it into perspective. This is some of the darkest days of David's life. And here's what he says. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. If you read the whole psalm, he says, everyone's trying to kill me. Everyone's against me. I see no way out. But I put my trust in you. I put my trust in you. 
In the darkest of moments, David felt fear just like you and me. And it was affecting his body, I am sure. But he chose to trust in God in that moment. And I would say this, that every single day, you and I will experience moments that test, that test what we will do when we experience fear. There's one that really stands out to me, and it's found in Mark chapter 4. And I just want to look at a few excerpts. Jesus has been preaching on the shore all day long. He's tired. He's been standing in a boat, and he says to his disciples, let's take the boat across the sea. And they go, okay. And they, they get all the boats, and they start heading across the Sea of Galilee. And while they're going across, Mark chapter 4, a great storm blows in. And the storm was so bad that the disciples, who, by the way, were fishermen, who knew the sea, who knew those boats, who knew how to sail really well, these guys thought that they were going to perish. They're like, it's done for. Okay? And what happens? They turn to Jesus in their hour of need, and he's asleep on a cushion. In the middle of the storm, they're just like, where's Jesus? Oh, he's sleeping, of course. And everything is going wrong. And let me ask you a question. Their fear of dying, let's look at the next verse. The next verse says, they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, as seasoned veterans of sailing who knew this sea, when they think they're perishing, do you think that that fear is logical or illogical? It's logical. Right? They know the situation. They're looking at the situation. They're like, we're in trouble. And they wake up Jesus and they say, you don't even care. Many people in the last 18 months have felt that way. Where's God in all this loss and suffering and tragedy and heartache? Where is he? And we need to be careful not to assume that just because he's not doing what we expect him to do, that he doesn't care. And we, we ought to be careful not to assume that his silence means his absence because Jesus is right there the entire time. And of course, what happens next is Jesus wakes up and he rebukes the wind and says to the sea, peace, be still. It's like, stop. And everything stops. And the wind ceases and there was a great calm. Now, in this moment, the disciples who had previously been afraid of the storm are now afraid of Jesus. Because these are good Jewish boys and they would have grown up reading and reciting the Psalms, much like Psalm 56 and Psalm 23, which we'll read later. And Psalm 89.9 says, you, speaking of the God of Israel, the creator of all the heavens and the earth, you rule the raging seas when its waves rise, you still them. They just watched the God who created all things stand up in their boat and command the storm to stop. They had no idea who was with them. They had no idea that the God who created all things was in the boat with them. Now that they know that the God who created all things is with them, was their fear logical or illogical? It's illogical. Something shifted inside that changes the way you view what you see outside. You see what I'm talking about here? And then Jesus turns to them and he says to them, this is really important, right? Jesus turns to them and says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus doesn't point at the storm or the situation or Rome or whatever else is going on. He points at their fear. He's like, that's a problem. He focuses in on their fear. You know, this is the thing for me as a pastor. You know, I have a lot of concerns. I'm concerned for people's well-being, their their health at this time. I'm concerned about people who are struggling with mental health. I'm concerned about uh, families. I'm concerned about marriages. I'm concerned about, you know, the church and the future and what do we do next. I have all these concerns. But my biggest concern, especially after this week studying this topic, is the fear that exists inside of us. Because that fear that is in us is actually driving and fueling sinful behaviors, hurting others, 
misunderstandings, and everything else. Does that make sense? So it's that fear. Jesus is like, that's a problem. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Now, um, Jesus' disciples on many occasions were afraid. This is one. A few chapters later, they're crossing the sea, and Jesus comes walking by, and they see him, and they're terrified. And then there's all these other times they're terrified. Then Jesus dies, and they go into hiding, and they're terrified. But somewhere along the line, they click. Something clicks. And you see these these men, and, and there was women as well that followed Jesus. They emerge with this fearlessness where they would get arrested and beaten, and they're like, no problem. And many of them would eventually be crucified or killed for their faith, and it's no problem. Like, they're fearless. Something happened. And John, one of the disciples that was closest to Jesus, would write this to the early church. He would say, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So what John actually discovered was that it's love that is the antidote to fear. Back to the story about my kids. When they are afraid, and I give them all the reasons why their room is safe, and I tell them why there's no, nothing to fear, it doesn't work, but if I lay down in the bed beside them, just put my hand on them, the fear begins to just disappear. It's because of love and it's because of presence. That's the antidote. And so let me ask you a question. What do you fear most? What do you fear most? What is the thing? What is the thing that you fear most? I can can rhyme off a a few uh, options for you in case you can't think of some. How about fear of death? How about fear of losing a loved one that you really love and care about? How about the fear of being abused or taken advantage of? I think that's a real fear. How about the fear of losing control or the fear of being abandoned by the people who claim to love you? Or this is one that hits home for me, the fear of being insignificant, not mattering, not being important. These are the kinds of fears that drive us to work too much, that drive us to defend ourselves, that drive us to pursue the wrong relationship. These kinds of fears are at the heart of many of our behaviors. But let me ask you a question. Which of those fears isn't driven out by knowledge of God's love and presence in your life? Think about it. If you're afraid of death, if you're afraid of what comes next, and then you open up the scriptures and you read how Jesus said that he goes to prepare a place for you and me, that we would be with him forever. And you're like, you know what? Life is a breath. And when it's over, I get to spend eternity with the God who made me and loves me. It's like, I'm not actually not that scared anymore. Like the fear begins to be pushed to the side. When you're afraid of being abandoned and you open the scripture and you see the God who made you say, I will never leave you or forsake you. So even if your mom abandoned you, even if your spouse walked out the door, you can know in your heart that there's a God who will never abandon you. And that fear, it it doesn't necessarily go away right away, but it's less. It's less. The knowledge and presence of God in your life You're afraid of being out of control. And then you open up the scriptures and you read that God is sovereign over all things. That nothing escapes his sight. You're afraid of of being abused or injustice. Well, what if if they never get caught? God sees everything and will judge everything and will make everything right and balance the scales. And the fear of injustice just goes, okay. Because of his presence and because of his love. It pushes it to the side. And this is so important because... um, It's hard to love other people when we're motivated by fear. Because even when we say we love someone else, if fear is the driving force, it's not real love. Right? I'll love you because you won't leave me. 
I need you to be here. So that's why I'm love. You see what I mean? Love gets all tangled up in our fear, right? I love you because you bring significance that I need. That's not real love because it's conditional and it's connected to something I need. I love you so I won't be alone. But what happens when we have God and our fears get smaller and smaller and less and less? Then and only then are we truly able to love others the way God intended. Then and only then are we able to love our neighbor as ourself, love our enemies not worry about tomorrow because we know God has it in his hands. This week I was reading, uh, actually yesterday morning I was reading the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 5-7. through And it dawned on me that everything Jesus is saying that we're to do as believers and followers of Jesus depends on our total trust in him. I can love my enemy and just know that you're going to take care of it. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to wear because you take care of it all. I'm going to put your kingdom first and let you take care of everything else. Everything Jesus said for us to do depends on total trust in him. And then fear is gone. I want to share just a a quick story. Um, This this past week, I got to see the effects of this in my own life. Okay. Many of you know, uh, during May through uh, July, I was away on a sabbatical. So for three months, I was spending time studying, reading, spending time doing spiritual direction and planning for the future. Just this really was a special time for me and and for what is ahead. And during that time, one of the things I was working through with my spiritual director that kind of guided me through the process was figuring out what I'm most afraid of and then trying to trust God and minimize that fear. And I got to see the results of some of that work this past week as um, I was doing a Zoom call with the spiritual director. He says, how's it going? And I gave him an update and I told him, and by the way, before I tell you this, um, last week I sent out an email with information about our building project, okay? Uh, the, The timelines have been delayed. The costs are way more than we initially anticipated because we have to do a whole bunch of extra work. That's why the price has gone up. So it's all stuff we would have done, but now we've got to pay for it now and... Normally, under normal circumstances, six months ago, if I would have found all that out, I wouldn't have been sleeping at night. I would be so stressed that what are we going to do? How do we fix this? How do we move forward? And he asked me, he's like, so how are you doing with all this news? I said, I'm fine. He's like, have you lost any sleep? I said, no. He says, why? And I stopped and I went, because God's got this. He, he brought us the building. He brought us this far. We'll figure, like... We're working on a plan. Like, we're doing our part, but, like, God's got this. I don't, we don't have to freak out. It's fine. We're going we're gonna to be in that building soon enough, and we'll be doing amazing things, and we're going to just keep doing the mission of the church, regardless of where we're at. But it was just like, I don't have to lose sleep over this. God's got it in his hands. That's a result of pursuing his love and knowing his presence in my life change the way I respond. And this is what I'm inviting you into, a process of going, God, you're with me. You love me. Therefore, it's okay. Fear is pushed away to the side. I want to close with this. Uh, Psalm 23. Many of you will know it. I'll, I'll just read through it. But before we read through, there's six verses. I want you to know. The first three verses are sunny days. The last three verses are dark days. You will have sunny days. You will have dark days. You'll have days where you're like, this is the best. I want life to go on forever. And you'll have days where you're like, this is the worst. I wish I was never born. You're going to experience both of them in your life. And David is going to follow this logic to go, God is with me through it all. Here's what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want sunny days. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside still waters. Sunny days. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Beautiful. And now things turn. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why won't He fear? Well, you're with me. There it is again. Your rod and staff, they come for me. Even in this dark place where I can't see you, I, I, I feel your love. I feel the, the rod of your staff saying this way. I hear your voice and that's enough. You're, it seems like you're asleep, but I know you're with me. Your rod and staff, they come for me. And then he goes on to say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Can you imagine hundreds of people surrounding you ready to kill you? What would your natural response be? Adrenaline, cortisol. <laughs> Defend myself. And he says, because God is with me, I can sit down and eat a meal. That's not something you do when you're scared. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And finally, he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Even if I die today, I'm with you forever. I don't need to fear. It's powerful. And so fear is cast out and pushed aside by God's presence and his love. Can I pray with you? Father, thank you. Um, for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your presence, most of all, Lord. We don't have to live in fear, even though there's lots around us to be scared of. Even though there are so many things that are sending signals to our brain to panic, to freak out, to stress out, to react. We know that you're with us. We know that you love us. And because of that, we do not need to be afraid. So Lord, help us to trust. Help us to have faith. Help us not to react to the people around us who are just simply reacting in fear. Help us to have grace for one another as we begin the healing process and figure out how to move together in unity and in community in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said...